podcast promoting female musicians and artists today. I am joined by Bree Tranter, who is an Adelaide-based singer-songwriter um, who's just released a new single called Keyboards and Conversations. Bree, welcome to Women Who Rock. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. You know, um, I mentioned a little bit off mic that I interviewed uh, Imi quite recently with her uh, single under her own name, the track called Mesa mm-hmm. Luna which I understand mm-hmm. she kind of spoke about, was written about you. Yeah. So it's really good that here you are to chat to you today. <laughs> How special is that, huh? I know, right? Well, and it's such an amazing very, track. I know. I was uh, in tears. And, um, I mean, one, just the fact that somebody I look up to so much wrote a song about me and, um, two, that it was extraordinarily cinematic and beautiful and the most um you know complex and textured song I've heard in a long time and three I've just been so excited to hear Emmy's music for so long because I think she's a brilliant um singer and songwriter and musician all sorts and it's just been so awesome to talk to her about releasing music and I actually just was excited to hear that she was doing it (laughs) and um her and my partner got together and planned the way they were going to present it to me (laughs) which was also another reason I cried and so it was just a really magical thing to have she's real special I'd like to add for uh catchy the I was humming those backing vocals for like a week (laughs) yes me too it's just it's extraordinary. What a crazy song. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Another, She's one another Women Who Rock alumni. Yes. <laughs> well, from Emmy's music um, to your music. So you have played in many, many um, outfits and you released a, I think, under Bree Tranter, under your own name, I think it was 2016 when the last release of the debut album came out. Um, and we've yeah. dropped a, a single quite recently. So I'm interested to hear uh, after that gap, what was the kind of catalyst to come and release new music under your own name, um, even though you're kind of involved in so many other projects? Yeah, um, releasing music under my own name at the beginning or um, Well, just it's been, I guess it's been break. a bit of a hiatus of five years and there's been a lot yeah. of craziness in the world and you've been involved in so many other projects um, in between time. Yeah. So what was the kind of the the catalyst to come back and, and release this single? Yeah, right. Um, oh, there was a few things. It gets a little bit complicated because, one, you know, it's um, an emotional draining story, you know, being uh, a solo artist sometimes and, you know, releasing music out in the world and having enough money to do it. Uh, having the skills to do it um, just gets a bit – I used to get quite overwhelmed and just be exhausted by it all. And I guess I was pretty satisfied after I released the album. And then I went through some 
big life changes and I kind of just focused on life, my personal life for a while and getting back on track mentally. And then of course I was touring. So was quite satisfied doing that. And there'd just be a lot of back and forthness where I'd be like, yeah, my solo music's cool, but I just don't have the money to do it. And, you know, this world was kind of like cruel to put music out in and it's a little bit tough and I feel a little bit let down by it, but then I also feel uplifted by it because I've had so many people support me through this release and I guess I should do it, but you know, where do I find the money to do it? And then I think um, three years into not releasing music, I kind of came to peace with the fact that I really enjoyed supporting people um, and I didn't really like leading bands and I struggled being a leader. So I came at peace of just knowing that I had strength supporting other people and helping them put out music and tour their music and I, I really got on board with that session musician skill that I pursue um, in my career and then the reason I guess it started to change a year or so after that was I had people you know I had friends come up to me a lot and say hey you know when are you going to release music again or can I help you record some music or and just small things like that built up over time where I had enough people say you should release music or I'll help you release music and certain things came together in the puzzle where um, I'd put a bunch of demos together for some friends who were thinking about managing me and because I had done that kind of work, putting the demos together and then it didn't work out, I had the music there and then I had a friend offer to record it and it kind of just ended up slowly like that and I thought, well, as long as I'm still being creative and releasing music that matters to me and I'm not, I'm not the kind of artist that's like prolific and just keeps producing heaps of music. I can't do that. It's not in me, but I am creative and when I have something on my heart, it's super easy to put out a song. So yeah, I guess it's where keyboards and conversations came from because I had something really important on my heart and I had it in a demo folder that was for other people and then a friend heard it and then he helped me record it and it made me happy to know that I wasn't pursuing my career full-time. It was 100% something I do for people who are going through whatever I'm talking about and need to hear something that helps them heal in that way and it's for me to heal. And I kind of found my solo solo career in that now, if that makes sense. You met, you mentioned the idea of um, touring before you released this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I'm, I mean, my understanding of the song is that it's kind of about the struggles of being in a relationship with someone who's also um, a musician, mm-hmm. um, doing um, musicianship professionally. And I know that you've been involved in a lot of kind of international touring over the past 10 years for various different outfits. So I'm interested to hear your take of the idea of kind of having that international touring effectively taken away from you, like overnight, taken away from everyone. Mm. where it was just a snap where, you know, we're organising tours and then bang, it's all off. How yeah. has that impacted you? Are there elements of good and bad? Like how has that been for your psyche? I would say that for my individual case, it's, it's it hasn't affected me because I was um, quitting touring overseas right before the pandemic anyway 
Oh, right. Yeah, so I was going through um, a bit of a life change just before the pandemic and I had decided to stop touring internationally with Matt Corby and, you know, none of the other bands that I'm in can afford international touring. So it wasn't an issue that came up with any other bands, but I guess Matt Corby's the one who takes me overseas and I'd kind of reached a point where I was quite satisfied with the amount of touring I've done for the last 15 years and I've played many shows and many festivals and I kind of just wanted to focus on family and life at home and get a dog and simplify my life and look after a garden and just do touring around Australia if it came up but it wasn't I wasn't even going to do big tours around Australia anymore so it's it's a bit different it's a bit of a different answer from me because I know it's affected so many of my friends it's obviously affected Corby quite a lot I care about him and the crew and the band so much and how it's completely turned their world upside down. Um, but, yeah, for me, weirdly enough, I had just said goodbye to all of that. So I feel like I'd mourned it on the last tour I was on, like I was saying goodbye to it and I was taking in Europe and America really deeply and, yeah, I got really lucky because I know that nobody else really has had that. They kind of just had it ripped out from under them. So, yeah, I'm a unique case, but I know it's affected so many people I care about. I'm not sure what answer I was expecting, but I think it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's not like you go around announcing that kind of stuff that you're quitting touring. Um, but, yeah, I, I did kind of subtly put it on Instagram that I was saying goodbye to it, but, you know, I didn't – it might not have been um, recognised – Sure. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm interested now in the idea of you. So when you were doing the last tour with Matt Corby, was it 2018 or? Uh, it was um, It was 2019 okay. and we were in UK and Europe. Right. Uh, uh, so when, Yes. So when you were doing that, you knew in your mind that that was going to be the last time that you did that or you were sort of you made up your mind when you got back no I was saying goodbye to everyone on that tour um and they all knew it as well and so it was a bit of an emotional it was an emotional tour anyway because um just stuff going on on tour but uh but also on top of it you know I was saying goodbye to it and all the all the guys in Corby's band and crew were like my best friends and so, you know, I, I'm very open with them and I kind of wanted to mentally prepare them for finding a new keyboardist and, you know, I also am a very sentimental person. So because I've toured overseas for so many years, it was a really big deal for me and I kind of needed a year to take it in and talk about it and prepare everyone, um, including myself. So it did take a year. So I can only imagine that if that wasn't my decision and like so many of my friends that work in the music industry, if they were planning tours overseas or recording overseas or moving overseas to move their band and having that ripped out from under them, that's quite soul-crushing because even when I planned, I still took a year to say goodbye to it. And even then I knew I was going to really hurt when they were overseas touring without me. 
and it just never came to that because COVID came in. Mm. So I can understand the pain that all my friends are going through, having that taken from them. How was the last show that you did? <laughs> yeah, it was um, um, the last, last show with Corby was actually on an Australian tour. So I was saying goodbye on the Europe tour, but we still had like a bunch of Australia and New Zealand shows. Um, so I, I really drew it out. <laughs> right. um, but the, the last last show was um it was it was it was quite emotional there was quite a lot of tears um and you know like they all were saying of course you'll come back you'll always come back and I was like oh I'm gonna get a dog to stop me from coming back because of course I'm gonna come back so mm. I'm gonna get a get a dog me and my partner are gonna have a dog and then it's gonna be really hard for you to pursue me to come on tour but um it was it was really, yeah, it was quite emotional having those tears and conversations and Matt just being like, you know, <clears throat> we've done this for like eight eight to nine years and I've seen him grow and been in like the band while his band has changed so many different forms. Like I think he's had like five different versions of a band and I've been in, in all of them. So I've really seen he, him transform. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty hectic and I can imagine not having that goodbye with him would be really soul crushing so I feel really weird and strange that I got that hmm. yeah you almost unintentionally took it into your own hands that process yeah it's um, well it's weird because um, my partner he's also a musician as you said before and I just kept saying to him I'm like I don't know it's, I think it's weird if like to financially have all our money in the one basket. And, of course, I had the Middle East and he's got his book, but I was just like, I don't know. I think um, the older we get and the more serious we're looking at, like, you know, growing a family and stuff, I just think maybe it would be wiser to separate some of that. Um, And, you know, nobody really understood that in the band and um they kind of did, but they didn't. And then I'd tell people on tour that were in other bands and they wouldn't quite get it. I was like, I can't describe it to you, but something might just happen that like, I don't know, like something might happen where it's really important that we have like this, another job under our belt. We're both not musicians and we can pay our mortgage or rent and so forth. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I was like, I guess this was that weird thing I was talking about that I never thought would happen Mm. Um, because obviously we've been okay because I went out and found a job that is an essential job and we haven't both lost our work, which has made us both able to survive, which I feel very lucky about. So, yeah. Well, I hope I didn't bring the mood down by probing into that, but I found that very interesting. Um, no, it's very important, you know. People make these decisions in music and I just feel lucky I was at the right place at the right time, but a lot of people aren't, you know. And it's mm. the, the conversation that should be had because we don't just give up everything to be artists. We do at one point and then it changes and family and life changes, you know. And so I think sure. it's an important part. Well, I think we should listen to the single. Yes. Let's do that now. This is the recent single from... Uh, Bree Tranter. It is called Keyboards and Conversations.
The track that we just heard was called Keyboards and Conversations from Bree Tranter. Um, our good friend of the show from the band next door described that track as an ethereal soundscape. And I think I agree. Um, and I think that the music video kind of adds to that. When I was watching the, the music video on YouTube, which we can put um, a link in the description for that video, I kind of felt like I was listening to the song through a kaleidoscope. Hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit about making that video? Yeah. Yeah, I um, I love making videos. I um, Filming has actually connected me to music so many times that I've tried to emotionally walk away from music. Um, it's really helped me um, creatively. And um, my partner and I just bought a house last year and the house has uh, 30 rose bushes out the front of the place and it's it's got this weird link to the song because the song was born out of the fact that when we lived in our rental we were struggling for money and we were talking about our careers and um, I really wanted to support my partner and help him through the struggles that he was going through that I had been through in the past of just the self-doubt that you have and you know he was like oh I really want a house for our family and you know we're talking about the importance of just being there for one another and how like just the sunshine and living together is amazing and you know I don't need any riches other than that and you know then a year later we have a house and it has this beautiful garden and the song is kind of about you know, the conversations you have with somebody in a safe place where they let out all their insecurities and it is like a garden and it is hard work to get it to flourish and take care of. And so when I saw these roses bloom, um, I had to film them and I love kaleidoscopes. And so I had a head torch um, on my head um, and this kaleidoscope taped to my iPhone. And so I just filmed it one night, like with the spotlight after it rained. <laughs> that's it <laughs> oh it was nighttime yeah some of it was nighttime um oh and some of it was daytime yeah that's right okay yeah so it was actually a kaleidoscope yeah cool. it was actually a kaleidoscope I'm a little bit organic like that I don't really know how to use effects too much and the editing programs I did have a friend help me edit it as well um but yeah that's all real kaleidoscope footage from a real kaleidoscope cool yeah, from a um, science little shop. <laughs> the yeah, well, we'll put the the link. Everyone should go and have a look at the kaleidoscope based uh, rose garden video. The so that was, I mean, we've really been talking about this release under your own name, Bree Tranter, but you've also been working on another project, um, I believe, uh, with your partner called Siberian Tiger, mm -hmm. which yep. I think started uh, after COVID. Right, it's been it started after COVID started, I'm very interested to hear that. So you mentioned that you kind of, to have this Brie Tranter solo piece, you really needed like this inspiration or there needed to be something on your heart that you needed to get out. How does the writing process for the EP for Siberian Tiger, how has that differed to mm. the songwriting for, for Brie Tranter? Um, it's different when you've got two people putting into it. I don't know, it just you can be like, hey, I had these ideas for this kind of topic and 
I know you you had these chords for some song that you wrote a while ago. Maybe we can marry the two, and it just the pressure is kind of taken off a little bit. Um, whereas with our solo careers, uh, I don't know, it's just a bit can get a little bit different. If that makes sense. You think there are, mm. there's less pressure on the release because it's not like standing there alone. Um, you mean like the physically like re- putting releasing the music-, the music out into the world and people having access to it? It's not just kind of you standing there as a solo artist. There's you know, other people involved as well. Mm. Yeah, I don't mind too much um, putting out the music as. I guess it's different because you've got two people in Siberian Tiger. You have you might have two different ideas of how to put out the music. So that can, as much as it's helpful having that person help you, it can also be something where you have to talk about ideas a bit longer. Um, whereas for my solo stuff, I just do what I want. <laughs> so sure, that is a little bit easier. I'm just like, I'm going to make this kaleidoscope video and that's what I'm going to do. Um, whereas the Cyber and Tiger, you know, have to meet and talk about the ideas behind what kind of video clip you want or how you want the song to come about. But it's also less lonely because you can be like, well, I got stuck on the bridge. What are your thoughts? Um, and because Chris and I, you know, work and live together, we could just be talking about something and be like, wow, that would be a great topic to sing about. And because we care about it already because it's in our life, it's a lot easier to write about it. Um, whereas for my solo stuff, you have to really like be thinking about a topic for quite a long time. It has to really affect me for it to almost like come out of me and spill out. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I hope that answered your question. Sure. <laughs> Time for the segment, Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to choose one of them and tell us something about it. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, Patti Smith, punk rock, death, and politics. So, Bree, can you please tell us a thing? Yes. Okay. So, I picked poetry, um, but I I kind of um, decided to go off on a little wander from poetry and talk about this particular book that I really love that I kind of see as poetry. It's um, a book called A Gift from the Sea by Anne Morrow Lindbergh. And the reason I think it's kind of um, more than just a book and a little bit more poetry is because it talks about this woman who's a writer talking about the different Um, chapters of her life and she kind of describes it first by describing a seashell and I really connected to that and I thought it was very poetic because I believe we're very connected to nature and certain things in nature like resemble certain things in life and this is the first kind of poetic book I'd found that um, a friend gave me that resembled that and I kind of I connect to it like it's poetry if that makes sense. That 
has a pretty strong relationship with the track, right? Keyboards and conversations. I think is it the first line that mentions seashell? Yes. It's in this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't even mean to connect those two. See, I'm obsessed with the sea. <laughs> Um, but I think I, perhaps I was thinking about this book when I was walking along the ocean that day and I was struggling supporting um, my partner emotionally and I just was looking at the seashell and being like, man, look at you. You're just trying to hold the whole ocean on your own and that's just not how it works. But good on you because mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe this book influenced me quite a lot emotionally like that and I see it as poetry. You know, this beautiful woman talking about the different stages of her life, like it's the sea. So it was kind mm. of, I'm trying to understand what genre, is it, is it like an autobiography or? Um, look, it, it felt like that, but I think she's just a writer. Um, and this was kind of fictional, but at the same time, I actually haven't looked into the history of it. I'm very just satisfied with the book, um, but it felt like it was real, if that makes sense. And perhaps it is. Maybe I should look it up, but it does read very like it is an autobiography. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, but I don't think it is. <laughs> that's cool that you, I mean, I like the metaphor of the seashell and it's cool that it maybe subconsciously made its way into into your song or maybe it was just from the physical world. Of actually picking up a seashell. Yeah, it could have been both. Poetry and books and nature does that, weaves its way in. For sure. Bree, thank you so Mm -hmm. much for coming on the podcast with Who Rock. It's really been great um, having a, a talk to you. And yeah, I really appreciate your time. So thanks for coming on the show. That's okay. Thank you so much for having me. Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As E R 107.3.